Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. The Whittles are a rich family and in this part of the world they're known to be rich. When the father, George, who founded the family coach business, died in 1970, he left the daughter, Leslie, £82,000. Would you like to say something to the kidnappers themselves? Well, I can only say what Ronald has already said. We want Leslie. They want the money. The money's available when we've got Leslie. Are you absolutely convinced that she was abducted, she was kidnapped? She did not go off of her own I am, free will? I am sure. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 24 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 7, Episode 23 for Part 1 of this three-part case. The concluding instalment will be available in three days. The Lancashire Police began liaising with the officers involved in the Donald Skepper murder case in Harrogate. They told the media that they were looking for a small, thin young man wearing dark clothing. The General Secretary of the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters, Norman Taylor, announced that the post office had agreed to make a financial contribution to allow sub-postmasters to install extra security. Still, it only applied to a limited number of properties, and it would take time. It was determined that two different calibre bullets had been used in the shooting of Derek Astin, one from the shotgun 
and another from a smaller 22 caliber weapon. Investigators theorize that a continental drilling gun could have been used in the attack. The weapon is normally utilized in game hunting and can fire from different barrels. Within days, Detective Chief Superintendent Joe Mounsey of the Lancashire Constabulary voiced his belief that the same man was responsible for a number of break-ins across the northeast as far back as 1967. Mounsey said, There are four common factors in all these raids. The man was armed, masked, dressed in black, and each time no one heard a vehicle. The detective then went on to warn the public, this man kills for nothing, for peanuts. He is like something out of a 1930s crime novel. The total criminal profit from all these raids has just been a few thousand pounds, and a good portion of them, he got away with nothing. And in the cases of the murders, the victims have died to protect their families. Over 100 detectives were working on the case and interviewed thousands of people, hoping to find the man who had killed two sub-postmasters and had been linked to further crimes. Within a month of Derek Astin's murder, the reward offered by the post office had increased to £15,000, but the killer who Marion Astin described as panther-like was not finished. Just nine weeks after the murder of Derek Astin, the man in black struck again, this time in Langley, West Midlands. Just before 6pm on November 11th, 1974, Sidney Grayland heard a knock on the door of the storeroom at the sub-post office his wife Margaret managed. Sydney came face to face with a hooded figure. As the two men struggled, a bottle of ammonia the intruder had been holding splashed onto his hood. With his vision impeded by the liquid, the man furiously pulled off his disguise. He fired several rounds at Sydney Grayland, hitting him in the stomach. Unaware of what was going on, Margaret thought the loud noise was Sidney tripping over some boxes in the storeroom. The light was broken, and he only had a torch. However, when she opened the door, Margaret could see her husband lying on his back. Sidney called out to her, Watch it. I've been hit. Before she could comprehend what was happening, Margaret saw the face of a man in the doorway. He began hitting her repeatedly. After her hands were bound with a piece of cord, Margaret was struck again, viciously beaten with the butt of the firearm. The force of the blows not only caused severely depressed skull fractures, but also made the weapon splinter into pieces. For several hours, Margaret Grayland lay unconscious on the floor, and her husband Sidney was bleeding out, 
until officers in a passing patrol car noticed the lights were on in the sub-post office. Police Constable Peter Toghill and his partner were driving through the village at around 11pm and thought it was unusually late for the Greylands to be working, especially when the business normally closed at 6pm. With the recent spate of violent sub-post office raids in mind, the officers pulled over and knocked on the front door. There was no answer. PC Toghill looked through the window and saw cash on the counter. He could also see the safe was open. The door was bolted, so the officer went around to the back of the building and entered the storeroom. There he found Sidney Grayland, who had succumbed to his injuries. In the corner of the room, the officers found a woman who was bound at the wrists and so severely beaten that PC Toghill did not recognise her as Margaret, despite knowing the couple for a number of years. She had been covered with cardboard boxes, and a hat stand had been pulled down on top of her so that only her legs could be seen. Margaret Grayland was rushed to West Bromwich and District Hospital, where she underwent emergency surgery to treat her serious head injuries. A murder inquiry was immediately launched. At the scene, officers found the safe was wide open, and the key was still in the lock. £860 had been stolen, but next to it Margaret's handbag, which contained around £600, was left untouched. Investigators recovered six bullets and five spent cartridges on the storeroom floor, all of which came from a 22 caliber weapon. Investigators also found broken parts of a 22 calibre firearm. A seventh bullet was later recovered during Sidney Grayland's post-mortem examination. Sidney's cause of death was determined to be shock and severe hemorrhage as a result of a perforated artery in his heart. West Midlands Detective Superintendent William Lewis was assigned to lead the hunt for the killer. He told reporters he did not doubt the motive was robbery, but he could not rule out the possibility of a link with the murders of Derek Astin and Donald Skepper. The detective was eager to speak to Margaret Grayland if she recovered, saying, She is going to be the only eyewitness but is still very ill. While I understand she is responding to treatment, she remains semi-conscious and we have been unable to interview her as yet. During the few minutes in which she has regained consciousness, she has not said anything that might lead us to the person responsible. There is a dangerous man on the run. The cash taken from the safe had just been delivered so the police were able to find the serial numbers from the stolen notes and circulate them to the press. Margaret's brother Peter also spoke to the Birmingham Evening Mail following Sidney Grayland's murder and said, My brother-in-law was at Dunkirk and Creek during the war 
and was a prisoner in Germany for four and a half years. Having come through all that, he is now dead, all for a thousand pounds. It was soon after another tragedy befell the family. Margaret's brother Geoffrey, who had lived with the Greylands in their home near the sub-post office, suffered a fatal heart attack while trying to come to terms with the shock of what had happened. By late November 1974, the murders of Donald Skepper and Derek Astin had been conclusively linked and attributed to the same hooded killer. As police forces from multiple counties worked together to determine whether Sidney Grayland was the third victim, the post office increased the reward for information leading to the killer's capture to £25,000. The statement from the detectives involved in the triple homicide inquiry in Lancashire, Yorkshire and the West Midlands appealed to members of the public to come forward with any information or any suspicions they might have in relation to the murders. The investigators asked, Do you know of anyone who has stayed in or around any of the areas involved? Have you seen anyone who, at times, appears to have a surplus of money to spend for no apparent reason? The killer was described as someone who was cool, ruthless, and never panicked. Margaret Grayland had been through two emergency procedures to repair her skull, and her condition began to improve. However, she was not informed of her husband or brother's death until she had recovered enough to speak with detectives. By early December, Margaret provided the authorities with a description of the attacker. A white male, aged in his early forties, with dark hair and a clean-shaven appearance. A photo fit produced as a result of her description was then circulated to the media. It bore a striking resemblance to the man Leslie Richardson had seen during a sub-post office raid in 1972. The gun used in the murder of Sidney Grayland was also determined to be the same one used in the murder of Derek Astin. The rope used to bind Margaret Grayland was traced to a ropeworks factory in Burnley, and shopkeepers were asked if they recognised the man in the photo fit in an effort to track down his known movements. In early January 1975, detectives from the forces investigating the murders met to discuss their progress and the extent of their inquiries. Common features were found between the murders, such as the method of entry, the weapons used, the appearance of the armed intruder, the cutting of telephone lines at the properties targeted, and the lack of any noticeable getaway vehicle. A press conference was held on January 14th to discuss the case. 
when Gerald Smith, the security guard at the Dudley Freightliner terminal, was shot a day later. The bullets recovered were determined to have come from the same gun the hooded killer had used. Gerald had been shot numerous times and lost a kidney and part of his liver as a result. He survived but was still in a critical condition. Gerald's wife Vera spoke with the evening mail two days after the shooting and said, I don't think he yet realises how seriously he has been injured. He told a detective by his bedside everything about the shooting. It is something you read about but never think it will happen to you. At a press conference, Detective Superintendent William Dolby, working out of Harrogate Police Station, spoke about the link between the post office murders and the shooting of Gerald Smith, telling reporters, Every force and police officer is on the alert, and we want to corner this man before he claims another innocent victim. He is public enemy number one. The killer had been described by witnesses as a man dressed in all black and a dark shadow. It was clear he was willing to murder for relatively small amounts of cash. Although the shooting of Gerald Smith and the men killed in sub-post offices made headlines next to the news of Leslie Whittle's kidnap, the events were not linked until ten days after Leslie's abduction. Only at that point did the investigators realise that the man holding the 17-year-old captive was Britain's most wanted man, a notorious triple murderer the media had dubbed the Black Panther. Leslie Whittle's brother Ronald had attempted to make contact with the kidnapper on three occasions, but after the third failed ransom drop in the early morning of January 17, 1975, the kidnapper did not call again. After finding an abandoned Morris 1300 in a car park near Dudley Zoo, investigators discovered an enormity of evidence inside the vehicle linking the shooting to the kidnapping and a string of sub-post office murders. Investigators determined that the Black Panther had abandoned the car when he was confronted by Gerald Smith, as he was laying out the ransom trail two days after snatching Leslie Whittle from her home in Hiley. While the detectives were able to follow the botched trail, it led them no closer to finding the missing teenager. The authorities now knew that Leslie was in the hands of a dangerous killer, but they did not publicly release this information and kept up a charade of a defiant partnership between the authorities and Leslie Whittle's family. Two days after the Morris 1300 stolen by the Black Panther was discovered, a press conference was held. Detective Chief Superintendent Robert Booth from the West Mercia Police reiterated that the force were convinced it was a genuine kidnapping, but was insistent they would not bargain with a criminal. Booth said, There is a certain cynicism about that this girl cleared off, with or without a boyfriend, after a family row or tantrum at home. Such a belief is completely baseless 
and could not be further from the truth. This cynicism may have hampered our inquiries, but I want to make it clear that if anyone knows anything at all, it is their duty to come forward. We are fully committed to a ruthless pursuit of those responsible. I have played a waiting game before, and I am quite prepared to do so again. Remember, there is also a great pressure on the kidnappers. Ronald Whittle told reporters that he was not prepared to discuss the specifics of the investigation, but voiced his opinion that there was a conflict of priorities between the family and the police. Quote, The police say their principal aim is to get Leslie back safely and then deal with the kidnappers. Mine is an overriding concern. It is simply that I want Leslie back. The capture of the kidnappers does not concern me. Obviously, I feel the chances of getting Leslie back safely have got to be greater if the police are kept out of the picture. The kidnappers will not deal with the police, but they might with me. I have the money ready and am willing to hand it over. DCS Booth said that Ronald Whittle had acted against police advice by saying he would deal with the situation alone and hand over the money. However, as far as the police were aware, no contact had been made since the initial instruction to go to the Swan Shopping Centre. Booth told reporters, Mr Whittle might think that our principal objective is to apprehend the killers. He is wrong in this. We are looking for a live Leslie Whittle and not a dead body, but I must say the longer the silence, the greater our concern for her safety. We are dealing with very dangerous people. If this is the course Mr Whittle wants to pursue, there is nothing we can do to stop him. If he succeeds in getting Leslie back safely, then we will continue to search for those who took her. The police are playing it close to their chest. All they say is that they know he's been out with the ransom money a number of times. But is Ronald Whittle impeding the police inquiries? Well, I've given you my view about that. I think Mr Whittle, understandably, is taking every step possible to get his sister back. And I think that's, uh, that's understandable. Ronald Whittle even appeared on television with a suitcase of cash to tell the kidnappers that he would meet them alone if they would just contact him. To the public, it seemed as though the police and the Whittles were not working closely together, but this was all part of an elaborate ruse to make the kidnapper think that the police were being shut out of any ransom drops. At this stage in the investigation... Over 60,000 people had been questioned while the police followed close to 5,000 lines of inquiry in an attempt to find Leslie Whittle. Detectives who had been searching for the Black Panther in relation to the murders committed at sub-post offices and the shooting of Gerald Smith had taken over 30,000 statements and canvassed 9,000 homes. A mass briefing with over 400 police detectives was held and information booklets about the Black Panther were sent out to every force in the country. 
However, it was decided that the public's help was needed if they were going to find Leslie Whittle alive. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. On February 10th, 1975, Almost a month since Leslie Whittle's kidnapping, detectives announced that the suspect was the most wanted man in Britain. However, all police could do at the time was to reveal what they knew. They explained that the suspect who had kidnapped Leslie was also responsible for the murders of three men, Donald Skepper, Derek Astin and Sidney Grayland. Also, the attempted murder of Sidney's wife, Margaret, and the attempted murder of security guard Gerald Smith in the days after the kidnapping. It was clear this wanted man was dangerous, for a member of the public to approach him could prove a deadly mistake. I've said this all along, a Jekyll and Hyde lifestyle. He's rubbing shoulders with someone at this very moment, accepted in company, probably working alongside them, 
and out he goes in his nocturnal crimes at night and then perhaps presenting himself in the next morning as a man of daily habit. At a press briefing, Detective Chief Superintendent Booth was asked if Ronald Whittle had been in contact with the kidnapper since the ransom message was found on the morning Leslie was reported as being abducted. He said, The family have had many hoax calls, but among them Mr. Whittle feels there has been contact made from a person who has access to Leslie. I do not know who he is talking about because he has not confided in me and has insisted against my advice to deal with this most ruthless man. But this is his wish, and it is also his wish to hand over the money for Leslie's safe return. Booth said that the police were unsure if any contact had been made since the morning of the abduction. Ronald Whittle told reporters that he was still willing to meet with the kidnapper, even after finding out that the man was wanted in connection with three murders. He remarked, Obviously I am scared, but I have to meet him to have a chance of getting Leslie back safely. What will be the procedure if one day you pick it up and the kidnapper's on the other end? Well, one has to wait and see what he says, but... Um... As far as I'm concerned, because of the hoax calls we've received, I should want some assurance that he had Leslie and she was still safe and well. And uh, then we'd take it from there, you know. It's a matter of negotiation between us. What kind of assurance would you want? Would you want to speak to Leslie? Well, that's, that, that is a matter for negotiation between myself and the kidnapper. I wouldn't want to go into detail on that because it is obviously a matter between him and me. Dorothy Whittle said that she was still clinging to the hope that her daughter was alive, and she stood by her son when he insisted he would make contact with the kidnapper. Dorothy stated, I fully support Ron's decision. I'm aware of the risks he could run, but we have talked about them and think it is a chance to be taken. We have the money, and he has Leslie and it's up to him to get in touch with us. I plead with him to make contact. At the time, Gerald Smith was still recovering in the hospital after being shot at the Freightliner depot in Dudley. After finding out it was the Black Panther who had tried to kill him, Gerald's wife Vera was asked if she thought he was lucky to have survived. She replied, If you can call being hit by seven bullets lucky. The abandoned Morris 1300 was found with a ransom near Dudley Zoo, and some of the ransom instructions mentioned the location. So one of the first major leads the officers pondered was whether the suspect worked at the zoo. The public was asked to report any sightings of the car, which had been fitted with stolen registration plates that read TTV454H. Searches were carried out in fields and woodlands near Dudley, as the police retraced the ransom trail step by step, and an officer said, the planning and deviousness of this man's mind shows just the sort of individual we are dealing with. 
but he has the unhappy knack of drawing attention to himself. One day, someone will put the finger on him. It's exactly a month to the night that Leslie was abducted. Do you honestly think that she can be alive after all this time? Yes, I do. And I, I, I put the basis of that uh, for saying that this man wants the money and he's going to retain the goods. And I'll hold that till the country's proved. And every stop will be pulled out to get this girl back alive. Every stop. But it means that for four weeks she's had to be fed, she's had to be hidden away. Does this mean that he has an accomplice in your view? It's possible. It can't be ruled out, obviously. In the continent, they've kept people for four months in ransom cases such as this. The tape recording of Leslie's voice that was found in the abandoned car was played publicly in the hopes that it would lead to information. Detective Booth told the press, If there is anybody, anywhere with any information that they have so far withheld, then let this steal your hearts and come forward with it. A televised reconstruction was aired, one of the first times this was ever performed in the UK. The Whittles once again reiterated that they had not contacted the police. DCS Booth and Ronald Whittle made several television appearances where Ronald brought the ransom money on air and pleaded with the kidnapper to make contact with him. They had also devised a plan to bolster the contention that Ronald had acted alone when he followed the ransom trail to Bathpool Park in Kidsgrove. Ronald told the interviewer that he had made contact with the kidnapper on January 17th and followed a trail, but the kidnapper never showed up. As Detective Booth pretended to hear the information for the first time, he acted incensed at the idea that the police had not been informed. This ruse allowed him to arrange a second search of Bathpool Park the following morning, March 6th, without letting the kidnapper know that Ronald Whittle had been acting under police instructions all along. Are you going to have to go for this man if he contacts Ronnie Whittle again? Pardon? Are again? you going to... Yes. What do you mean, again? Whittle says he's already made a contact. I would have thought you might have known about this. But I don't know about it until you've just raised it, no. Well, when did you get to know about well, it? Well, we spoke to Whittle yesterday, and he mentioned it. He said it was the first time he'd mentioned it to the press, and I wasn't quite clear whether he'd mentioned it to you. Are you telling me now that Ron Whittle has been out somewhere dealing with a man he believes to be the kidnapper? Well, uh, Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not telling you. I'm, I'm simply saying that that's what Ronnie Whittle told me. Well, then... I'm afraid this has got to terminate. Some papers reported that they believed DCS Booth was acting when he said he did not know about the third ransom drop, and in response the detective said, It was not an act. Let this man holding Leslie Whittle be reassured that Ronald and I are not, under any circumstances, acting in concert. If I was, then I have sealed her fate. That is how highly charged that irresponsible piece of journalism is. I have no conscience at all about what I have done, but if this boomerangs, then I hope those responsible for this article have got a conscience.
Once it was reported that the police were searching Bath Pool Park in Kidsgrove, a number of school children came forward with items they had found in the weeks between the third ransom attempt on January 17th and the middle of February. Scotland Yard officers had covertly searched the park the day after the aborted ransom drop, but they had failed to find several items, such as a torch and a piece of tape that read, Drop suitcase in hole. Ronald Whittle was ordered to look out for a flashing torch and follow the instructions on it. This had been the final demand and the police had been unaware for almost two months. Seventy officers and fifteen tracker dogs scoured the park on March 6th. Around the same time, it was discovered that a couple had been at the car park during the early hours, before Ronald Whittle arrived with the ransom money. Peter Shorto and his girlfriend Anne, had been parked in the area for around 20 minutes minding their own business when they suddenly saw a bright light. It was a torch flashing on and off in their direction. Then they also saw a police car drive around the park. This was before Ronald Whittle had even arrived. More items would be discovered around the park, including a leather jacket and binoculars. After the Dymo tape was recovered, on which was printed instructions to drop the suitcase full of money into a hole, investigators began searching the manholes that led to a canal drainage system below the park. There were three surface entry points, by a grill that faced the road, by a manhole next to a train line, and on a hill further into the park. Staffordshire scenes of crime officer Philip Maskery entered the drains through a grill that led into an underground tunnel. Near the entrance he found a Dymo tape gun and a strip of plaster. The jacket and binoculars had been found on the hill, close to the third entry point. It was evident that the manhole had recently been treated with oil, as the bolt was able to be turned by hand instead of a spanner or manhole key. Once the manhole cover was removed, a ladder led 22 feet down to a steel platform, and another ladder reached a further 23 feet below that, to a second steel platform. Nine feet below, there was a third platform, and in the dark, the officers could see a sleeping bag crumpled on top of a mattress pad. The officer's torchlight reflected off some steel wire that had been attached to the bottom of the ladder. It was pulled tightly along the base of the platform and over the edge. Leaning over to see what the wire led to, the officer came face to face with a naked body. Suspended by the neck, the victim's feet were partially in the water, just inches away from the bottom of the drainage shaft that was only seven feet below the platform. Although the remains were almost mummified apart from the feet, which had been in contact with the water, the investigators could tell that it was the body of a young woman. 
they knew it could not be anyone other than 17-year-old Leslie Whittle. That area of the drainage system was close to the grate that led to the canal. Throughout the complex maze of tunnels and in the muddy grass above, investigators recovered an enormity of evidence, including a thermos flask, survival blankets, a broken tape recorder, a brown envelope, a writing pad, torch batteries and more Dymo tape. Once Leslie Whittle's body was removed from the drainage shaft, it was taken for a post-mortem examination. The wire around Leslie's neck had been closed with a clamp that could only be released with a spanner. It was also attached by a clamp to the ladder on the third platform. Although she was found naked, there were no signs of sexual assault or violence apart from one bruise on Leslie's neck that had likely been caused by the clamps which form part of the ligature. The wire was wrapped with a length of plaster, but the prolonged hanging had caused a one-inch mark. Leslie was believed to have been in a weakened condition, and an absence of food in her stomach led the pathologist to conclude that she had not eaten anything before her death. The cause of death was determined to be vagal inhibition. This is the stimulation of the vagal nerve in the neck as the wire noose tightened and cut off the blood supply to the brain. This causes the heart to stop within moments but if a sustained effort to free her from the noose had been made immediately, there would have been a chance that she could have been saved. The pathologist determined that Leslie Whittle had died within days of her kidnapping, just a few hundred metres from the failed ransom drop. It was a horrifying end to a six-week search for the missing teenager, and in a press conference the day after Leslie Whittle was found, DCS Booth said, I am on record as saying we will catch him within three days. Within 24 hours we will have him if it means pulling out every stop in creation. The dedication of every officer in the whole of the West Midlands signifies their determination to have this man. If it is the last thing we do. How evil, how ruthless, how terribly wicked this man is that we've hunted for seven weeks. God above, I never dreamt in my wildest dreams he'd do such a thing to a girl. It's, it, it's, it's terrible. Following the discovery of Leslie Whittle's body, Commander John Morrison from Scotland Yard was assigned as the lead investigator on the case, and Detective Booth was sidelined. The enormity of evidence found in the drainage system had to be logged and traced, and investigators hoped it would lead them to the Black Panther. They surmised that the man they were looking for was a sewage worker or someone local with knowledge of the drainage system 
Police divers search Bradley Canal near Bathpool Park in the hopes of finding items that may have been swept from the drainage system into the waterway. There was five feet of mud and silt at the bottom of the canal, and it was a difficult task to try and recover anything. However, divers did find a slipper that appeared to match another that had been recovered from the Morris 1300, believed to have been the vehicle the Black Panther was using. They also recovered a brandy bottle and more pieces of Dymo tape. The notepad that had been found in the drainage tunnels contained handwriting that the investigators believed was the Black Panther's. The pages also revealed something else. A partial thumbprint. This was the first time they had a print at the scene of one of the Black Panther's crimes, and officers hoped to quickly be able to cross-match it to someone who was on record. Frustratingly, they could not. Let's learn more and more about the network of tunnels under this park. They've begun to piece together the possible escape routes for the kidnapper once he'd collected the ransom money. Is there somebody you think knows this man? There must be somebody who's got some indication of who, who this man is, where he is. Angling's too good for him. Won't last long enough. It's always difficult, but when you, when you get something like as close as this has happened, you know, then it does bring it to you that hanging should be brought back, definitely, yes. I don't know whether whether these MPs would be in the same uh, frames of mind if it happened to one of their one of their children, like. But uh... Leslie's mother and brother were crushed by the news of her death, and Ronald Whittle said that he believed the media's actions in reporting the kidnapping right away could have cost Leslie her life. He said he hoped the media would learn a lesson and the man responsible would be caught before he could hurt someone else. We shall never know for certain, but I feel, rightly or wrongly, that the way in which this was revealed in the press in the early days could quite easily have meant a quicker death than might have been for Leslie. I hope that the press will now act more responsibly and drop this assassination of the police and use their considerable power to make damn sure that this man comes to justice before he does any harm to anybody else. It's too late for Leslie, but I hope that he's caught before he does anything to anybody else. After Leslie's funeral in Hiley, detectives working on the case announced that they believed the man they were searching for was someone who worked in construction as he had a knowledge of tools and how to rig certain structures. In the weeks that followed, hundreds of sewerage workers and construction operatives were questioned in the hunt for the suspect, the media sometimes referred to as the sewer rat. By the end of March, Gerald Smith, who had survived being shot, had finally recovered enough to leave the hospital but he was kept under police protection. A further breakthrough in the investigation came in the form of a report from a witness who believed they had seen the Morris 1300 around the time of Leslie Whittle's abduction. 
One woman had seen a man matching the Black Panther's description take a brown envelope from the car. He was acting in a way that made her suspicious enough to write the license plate down on a magazine she had been carrying. It was the same registration that had been found on the car when it was discovered abandoned in Dudley. Scotland Yard Commander John Morrison spoke to the press and said that he believed the man wanted for the murder of four people had an accomplice. Quote, Since the shooting of Sidney Grayland at Langley on November 11th, he has been shielded by someone, and we are convinced there is a woman in the background. Such a person is not only breaking the law of the land, but will bear a dreadful responsibility should this man strike again. Time is running out for both of them. Please give him up now. The police were no closer to finding the Black Panther, but they had managed to track down a number of people who were responsible for hoax ransom calls to the Whittles in the days after Leslie was kidnapped. A husband and wife with three children were charged with demanding money with menaces after they called and threatened to kill Leslie Whittle if £50,000 was not delivered to a subway in Gloucester. The woman received a four-year sentence for conspiracy and her husband was sentenced to seven years in prison. In June, an updated sketch of the Black Panther was released, showing a clean-cut white man with dark hair and dark eyes. Chief Inspector Len Barnes, who was assisting in the inquiry, said, The latest picture is how we believe the man we want looks today, although the public should not forget the previous artist's impression. We would welcome any calls from people who think they know this man. After six months, the hunt for the Black Panther had cost around £1 million. Over 600 officers were assigned to the case, working in an incident room at Kids Grove Police Station. They used a filing system nicknamed the Panther Machine to log statements and information provided to them from over 200,000 interviews. Chief Inspector Barnes was confident that the task force were making progress. We will catch him, of that there is no doubt, Barnes said. Each day is a day nearer his capture. We learn a little more about him every hour and every detail goes into the machine. We work on facts, and we work to a system. There are no Kojaks or Columbos here. It is just a long, hard grind. Because Leslie Whittle's body had been found in Kidsgrove, the investigation headquarters was located there. A special licence had been given to the pub next door, to allow it to open later so that the officers working on the case could unwind. The police spent weeks trying to track down the buyer of certain items that were found during the search, including the wire, the binoculars, and other pieces of equipment, 
but it seemed as though the Black Panther had used false names and checkbooks at all times to avoid detection. They knew that he had bought the wire in Walsall, the binoculars were purchased in Manchester, and the car had been stolen from Sutton Coldfield. The offender had taken great care in choosing locations that were some distance apart, and no one remembered his face. Investigators had the suspect's shoe size from footprints, his clothes size from clothing found abandoned in the car, his handwriting from the imprint of the script Leslie Whittle had read from in the recording, and police also had a thumbprint. However, they needed a name, and more importantly, they needed to prevent him from hurting anyone else. As summer came to an end and the weather grew colder, the police warned the public that the Black Panther could strike again. The pattern of his known crime showed that he operated between September and March, and people were urged to be extra cautious and to not approach anyone they believed could be the wanted man. 100 pieces of evidence and over 1 million index cards containing information about the case were filed, but as winter rolled in and no new leads emerged, Chief Superintendent Mounsey, who had been hunting the Black Panther from Lancashire, said, This inquiry is still being treated as a top priority by all police forces. The danger is still very evident. After their tireless efforts to apprehend the elusive killer that caused so much fear and chaos, officers were about to get lucky and make an arrest. By tomorrow morning, police expect to have formally charged a man with the murder of Leslie Whittle, and they're satisfied that he was a loner, working without accomplices. He's in his 30s, married with a teenage daughter, and comes from the Bradford area. It's understood that he's self-employed and has worked in the building business for some time. His job involves a certain amount of travel. Eight detectives from Kidsgrove yesterday searched his terraced house in Bradford and took away some equipment for examination. The man will appear in court in Newcastle-under-Lyme tomorrow afternoon. This is the end of episode 24. The concluding instalment in this three-part case will be available in three days. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.